Now, today, I want to start off today, um, I want to start this message off by playing pretend, all right? This is a completely pretend illustration for sermon purposes only. I'm just trying to make a point. But let's pretend over the past several months while I've been recovering from surgery, while I was down, let's say I was watching a lot of TV. Well, that's not really pretend. But let's say I was watching a lot of TV and I got hooked on the cooking channel. Anybody in here watch the cooking channel just for fun? Anybody? Few, few people. So let's say I was watching the cooking channel, and I'm watching these people on the cooking channel, and I'm thinking, man, that ain't, that ain't too hard. And I started watching baking shows, and I'm like, baking's easy, man. That looks like fun. I can do that. So I, so I started baking some cakes, right? And, and, and I'm making all of these cakes, and I realized I could bake some pretty good cakes. And, and, and let's pretend that the cakes that I made were so good that people came up to me and said, Pastor Ryan, man, your cakes are awesome. You need to start a cake business because that's what happens when you can bake really well, right? You bake cookies well, you bake cakes. People are like, oh, you should start this business and you should do this and you should make these for people and you should cater and then you start doing it and then you get like overwhelmed because you started doing that stuff. But let's say you said, Pastor Ryan, start a cake business and I did and I called it Pastor Ryan's Cakery. Now, I did not make these cakes. Walmart did, all right? Again, illustration purposes only. I cannot bake cakes, all right? So I'll just put that out there. Anyway, let's pretend I made these cakes, and you came in, and you said, Pastor Ryan, I want one of your cakes. And so I sold you one. And when you got it home, you brought this one home, and when you got home, you noticed there's a big, huge chunk taken out of it. And you're like, man, I don't really know exactly what I bought here. I'm not sure what happened down to Pastor Ryan's cakery, but... Look like that dude got a little bit hungry, started eating the cake. Now, I'm going to pause. I'm going to say this. I don't think anybody in here, if this is the cake that you were to take home from my cakery, you'd be happy. You wouldn't get together with your family and say, well, we've just got to be thankful that we got some of the cake. Praise Jesus. Like, nobody in this room is that godly, right? No, you'd be like, I'm going back down to the cakery. I'm going to ask Ryan have it. And so you walk in, and you're like, hey, what's going on with this cake? Think you sold me the wrong cake. And, and, and I'd be like, no, that's it, man. That's the one you got. And so then you started looking at this cake. And this cake is perfect. I mean, there's nothing wrong with this cake. And so you started asking me, well, what's wrong with that cake? Why can't I have that cake? Well, this, that cake belongs to somebody else. That's the cake you got. Nobody in here would go home to your family and sit them down and say, well, Pastor Ryan got me. We're just going to have to settle for this right here. Because why settle for this when you can have this? Am I right? Are, are, are you tracking so far? L- let, me, let me translate that. Let me show you where I'm going. Why would you settle for this life when you could have this life? Why would you settle for something that's obviously missing when you could have something complete, when you could have something whole. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I came to give you life. I came to give you abundant life. I came to fill you up. So many of us are looking for other things to fill empty spaces in our lives. And Jesus says, no, I'm here to make you complete. And so why would you settle for this when you could have this? And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'm going to show you this in John chapter 5. We'll start in verse 1. This, I love this story. And I know I say that every week, that I love this story. Um, I think what I've learned is I love every story that I'm currently studying and preaching with. All right? So anyway, um, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holidays. Now, I need to point this out. We've talked about this before, but it's super important to remember. The Jewish people were always celebrating something, 
always, still to this day, festivals and celebrations. There's seven total festivals. They last around a week each. I mean, they are a party people. They love to celebrate. And Jesus was all about a party. Think about this. In week number one, the beginning of the series, we talked about John chapter two. Jesus turned water into wine. Not grape juice. Wine. I, I, I said the other day, I find it hard to believe, but I, but I really don't because we grow up and we don't want, we, we lie to our kids and we don't tell them the truth. But the people in this church, adults who have told me growing up, you were told that Jesus turned water into grape juice, that it wasn't real wine. It was real wine. All right. At a party. He did it at a wedding at a party. Last week, we talked about the healing of the government official's son. We talked about how Jesus did it after he came back from Jerusalem, where he was celebrating the Passover. Anyone, anybody want to guess what a Passover was? It was a party. It was a celebration. Here was Jesus at another party. In other words, Jesus doesn't miss a party. He's like the original party animal, all right? That's why it's called the lion of the tribe of Juton. Anyway, that's probably not it. But Jesus was always at a party, like he was into celebration. And, and that's not the image of Jesus that we grew up with. We didn't grow up with celebration, Jesus. We grew up with condemnation, Jesus. Jesus is here to punish you. Don't do that. Jesus is going to get you. Don't go there. Jesus is going to get you. Jesus just wants to beat you down. Jesus is not about celebration. He's about condemnation. See, a lot of people, a lot of people love to quote John 3, 16. And that's a great verse, most popular verse in the entire Bible. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Like, that, that's great. God gave his son, you believe, everlasting life. And, and people run with that. But they don't finish the rest of the thought. There's a verse that comes after, verse 17. And these two verses are tied together. They're not independent of one, one another. Verse 17 said, for God did not send his son... His one and only son, the one that he gave, that whoever believes have everlasting life, did not send his son into the world to judge the world, to condemn the world. Now, now hold up. If he didn't send his one and only son, if he didn't give his son to condemn the world and judge the world, then he didn't send a preacher with a bad hairdo and a sweater vest to do it either, right? See, Jesus is all about celebration. But in churches, we're told, no, do this, don't do that, go here, don't go here, stop this, stop this, stop this. Jesus is going to get you. It's all condemnation. It's not condemnation. He's about celebration. He wants to celebrate, which is why I would encourage you to give your lives to Jesus. I would actually tell you that you don't know what celebration is until Jesus comes to live inside of you. Because everything we celebrate here on this planet is temporary. Everything we celebrate here, temporary. Think about this. In in, in a few months, in February, we're going to see the Super Bowl, right? A a lot of people, there's going to be celebration at the Super Bowl. I I don't know who's going to be in it. You don't know who's going to be in it. Only the NFL knows who's going to be in it. But none of us (laughs) liked that one, didn't you? In a couple months, how, how how many of your teams have ever won a Super Bowl? How many of you, you've got a team that wants to, I have my Colts won one time, right? And it was great, wasn't it? Wasn't it awesome when your team won and you were celebrating and it was great? And then a couple weeks later, 
Like, you're just like, it doesn't even matter. Like, it, it, nobody, nobody cares. You know why? Because nothing this world celebrates is worthy of an eternal celebration. But everything Jesus does, it's going to matter in a year. It's going to matter in 10 years. It's going to matter in 100 years. It's going to matter in 1,000 years. It's going to matter 10,000 years from now. Jesus is all about celebration. And if he's about celebration, I think his people should be about celebration. I think the church should be a place where we celebrate. And if we focus more on celebration and less on condemnation, I think we could change the world in a heartbeat. Amen? That's just verse 1. you got to listen faster. i got to get through all these verses. Verse 2. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the Pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. How many covered porches? Five. Super important to remember that. The first thing i got to show you, though, before I talk about the porches is the pool. Pool of Bethesda. Now, Bethesda, the literal meaning of this is house of mercy or house of grace. We're going to go with house of grace. Because that's pretty remarkable when you see that, that inside the Sheep Gate, inside this area, there's a pool that is called the house of grace. Now, when you think about that, and then you tie it in to the second part of the verse, it's huge. The second part of the verse says, there are how many covered porches? Five. Here's what's remarkable about this. Anytime a number is mentioned in the Bible, I tend to pay attention to it. Now, sometimes it doesn't mean anything, all right? I know I talk about numbers quite a bit in here. Sometimes they mean something, sometimes they don't. Please don't get involved in Bible code and numerology and all that other stuff because you're going to go down a rabbit hole that you shouldn't be going down, and that stuff doesn't really mean. But sometimes they, they mean something. Other times they don't. Like, honest to God, true story. I was at, we were on vacation one time and we went to church, and the pastor got up. And he was like, y'all, I was reading Psalm 118 this morning. And I believe that God said that y'all need to sow a seed of $118. And I'm like, dude, shut up. Like, seriously, like you're selling yourself short. I mean, at least say you read Psalm 150. I mean, get a little bit more. But sometimes, so sometimes numbers mean absolutely nothing. Other times they do. In the Bible, as you research this, the number five in the Bible is the number of grace. Don't miss that. Anytime the number five is mentioned, it's the number of grace. And so here you have the Pool of Bethesda, the house of grace, where people are now covered with grace by these porches. Five. The number five is huge. There are five curtains um, in the tabernacle in the Old Testament, five pillars at the altar. There are five ingredients in anointing oil. David went out to fight Goliath. When he went out there, he picked up some smooth stones. Anybody want to guess how many? Five, because he was walking in grace. When Jesus fed 5,000 people, how many loaves of bread did he have? Because he fed them with grace. And so here are five covered porches indicating it's a house of grace that's covered by grace. Every single person in here, here's what I want you to know. Central Church, This is a house of grace where we are covered by grace. This is a house of grace where we are all covered by grace. No matter if you're this person or this person, we all need the same amount of grace. This is a house of grace where we are covered by grace. But what kind of people? What kind of people go into the house of grace covered by grace? What kind of people come in? Well, watch this. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, lay on the porches. So sick people are in the house of grace, under the porches, covered by grace, waiting for a certain movement of the water. Now, you know what I started learning when I worked in churches? Let me back up. I grew up thinking 
that all the good people went to church and all the bad people stayed home. Anybody else grow up like that? Like all the good people, we, we were all in church, and so we would dress up, and we would look all nice, which is a side note. I, I asked somebody, as a lady, I asked her one time, why do you like coming to Central? She said, because I don't have to wear pantyhose. I was like, me neither. It's awesome. And so, it's, it's great. And so, <laughs> you dressed up, and everybody like looked all good, and everybody looked all fancy, and it was all great, and the good people were inside the church, and the bad people were out playing golf, or the bad people were sleeping it off, or the bad people were just outside of the walls. And, and that's how, that's what I grew up thinking. And, and so, part of me, after I got away, was like, I can't go to church, I'm not a good person, like all, all of that. But, but here's what you learn when you work at a church. You know the biggest thing I discovered working in a church about the people that come to church? We're all sick. All of us. I'm not saying you. I'm saying all of us. All of us are sick people. You don't believe me? Look up and down your row right now. Just take a look. Just, just look. It's, it's some sick people. We're some sick people in the house of grace covered by grace, right? And, and that's where we should be. What kind of people? The blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And you think, well, I'm not any of those. No, 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 you are. Let me, let, me, let me explain this. Some of you here today, you're sick because you're blind. Well, I'm not blind. I can see. No, you're blind to the future that God has for you. In fact, you can't see the potential of your future because you're so focused on the pain of your past. There are many of us, and I'm going to put myself in this category, but so many of us, when you hear me stand up and say, hey, in Christ the best is yet to come. Hey, you can do this. The best is yet to come. Understand the best is yet to come. You can believe it for other people. You just can't believe it for you. See, because of your past, because you had an affair, an abortion, an addiction, or something in your past, you think somehow that one event, the lowest part of your life, defines you. And because you've allowed that to define you and you've allowed other people to speak that into you and over you, you can't see the potential for you, for your future, that God does really have immeasurably more for you than you could ever ask or imagine. Listen, if we look in the Bible and we look at the so-called Bible heroes, there's not one Bible hero in the entire Bible other than Jesus that wasn't a complete screw-up and God used them anyway for his glory. But you're blind and you can't see it. Or maybe you're lame, and maybe you're lame because of the pressure of life. It just has you weighed down, and you're just like, I just, I just can't go. And you just feel like you can't walk. Maybe it's you're so exhausted spiritually, and you come in here, and I tell you Christianity is just a series of next steps, and you're like, shut up, man. Quit talking about next steps. I'm so weighed down. I'm so broken spiritually. There's no way I could take another step. I don't need a next step. I need a now step, and I'm just wore out. Or maybe somebody came in and somebody took your legs out. Maybe it was an ex. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was one of your kids. Maybe it was your so-called best friend. But you got hurt. And now you're all laid up. And you're lame. Or maybe today you're paralyzed. Man, fear will paralyze us and keep us stuck. And some of us, we get paralyzed with the thought of, what if people knew everything about me? You ever thought that? What if people, what if people knew every, like what if they really, really knew what I was thinking? What if they really knew what I wanted to do? What if they really knew what I did? What if people knew everything about me? What if for 15 minutes today, somebody could Google your name and everything about you came out? Nobody's amen in that. Like, that's pretty paralyzing, isn't it? 
That's a fearful thought. And so these sick people, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, lay on the porches covered by grace in the house of grace, waiting for a certain movement of the water. Sick people laying around. But again, here's the beautiful thing. All of these sick people are in the house of grace, covered by grace. And so today, if you find yourself sick, if you find yourself blind, lame, or paralyzed, I'm glad you're here because all of us today are in the house of grace, covered by God's grace. Covered. Whether we're sick or we're well, we're covered by God's grace. Now, verse 4, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this, and then I'm going to spend some time discussing it. Now, I use the New Living Translation to preach out of. Um, I study out of the English Standard Version. I use the New King James and some other some other translations while I'm studying. Um, I love to communicate out of this translation, and so um, this is the one that I use. If you're, if you're reading through the New Living Translation, if you're not using the English Standard Version or the New King James Version, your Bible is going to skip verse 4, the end of verse 3 and verse 4. And the reason why is because early translators couldn't understand, didn't, couldn't, um, agree of whether they wanted to put it in there or not, and, and I'll explain why in, in a minute, all right, because it's confusing. It's kind of messed up. Verse 4, um, water, waiting for the water to serve, for an angel of the Lord came from time to time and stirred up the water. So the, you got all these sick people laying around, and they believed that an angel of the Lord would come and stir up the water. So the water's getting stirred, right? And the first person to step in after the water was stirred was healed of whatever disease he had. Now, wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be awesome? If you're laying around and an angel comes and the water stirs up and you jump in the pool first and you get healed, that would be awesome, would it not? Wouldn't it be cool if there was like a pond somewhere you could just jump in and get healed? Hey man, I got a sore on my leg. Well, here's what you need to do. You need to go down to Willie, drive through the stop sign. There's a field out there. It's Mr. Wendell's field. You're going to need to stop and ask Mr. Wendell before you walk in his field because dude will shoot you. But then you can like, like there's the field and the end of his yard and there's a pond. You jump in that pond and you're going to be healed. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Like would people show up and go into that yes or no? Yeah. The problem with this verse is it was a legend. There's a myth at the time that it was th- this, this whole thing was designed to trick people. Right here, you would pay money. The more money you paid, the closer you could lay to the pool, right? And what would happen is the religious people would stir up the water. They would, they would do something to make the water look like it was stirring. Then they would stage a fake healing every so often. And so you had blind, lame, paralyzed, sick people waiting for the water to get stirred. And the first person in the water was healed. Now, can you imagine the hundreds, if not thousands of people laying around this thing, waiting for that to happen. Can you imagine when that water started bubbling? Can you imagine the melee that was going on? Can you imagine what it was like people trying to jump in and then someone jumping out, they're like, yeah, awesome, but it was staged. It was fake. How cruel is that? If you're blind, could you see the water moving? No. If you're lame, can you see the water being moved? Well, yeah, but you can't get there. If you're paralyzed, you can't do anything. You're stuck. And that's what religion does to us. Religion binds us up. Religion keeps us in bondage and says, hey, I know you're busted up. I know you're broken. I know you're hurting. But if you just do more and try harder, you'll get better. That's what religion says. And that's what's happening right here. Pay more. Maybe you can get to the front. Verse 5. One of the men laying there had been sick for 38 years. 38 years. How long? 38 years. I had a cough Beginning of the year, many of you had the same cough, and I'm worried it's getting ready to come back. The cough that lasted an entire month, 
You know those coughs? Just won't go away. It's just <laughs> like I've been sick. I've been laid up. I've been sick for a while at times, but I've never been sick for 38 years. 38 years is a long time. Yes or no? Yeah, let me, let me show you. Some of you are going to get this. Some of you aren't going to get it. Some of you are going to have to Google this. Some of you are going to have to just like, just, just play along. All right. 38 years ago was 1985. How many of you weren't even alive in 1985? Raise your hand. Let me tell you about 1985. In 1985, the top song in 1985 was We Are the World. How many of you are there that, that remember that? I, was, I pulled this up, and I was looking at these things, and I got this picture. I didn't even hear the, the song. I'm just, like, pointing out all the people in it, and then the song's playing in my head. And I remember all the words to that thing. I'm like, ah, get it out, get it out. The number one movie, the number one movie in 1985, Back to the Future. The original, Back to the Future, 38 years ago. The top TV show was a tie between Family Ties and The Cosby Show. Remember those? Wholesome TV, where you couldn't even, like, TiVo it or whatever, whatever we're saying today. I don't know. VHS tape down in there. Like, you had to watch it live. The Nintendo, the OG Nintendo, came out in October of 1985. You want to feel really, really, really old? Michael Jordan was Rookie of the Year in 1985. Look how skinny that dude is. Isn't that awesome? Can we all agree that was a long time ago? That was a long time. Can you imagine being sick for that amount of time? Can you imagine being sick for 38 years? I'm not talking about a cough. This man, we'll find out in just a little while, had been lame for 38 years. Laid out for 38 years. Here's what's beautiful, and don't miss this. You don't make it 38 years unless you're in the house of grace covered by grace. Because think about this. He was lame that means somebody had to feed him. Somebody had to bring him water. Somebody had to make sure he was warm. Somebody had to make sure he was taken care of. Somebody had to make sure he was clean. He was taken care of. Even though he was lame, he was still in the house of grace, covered by grace, even though he couldn't do anything for himself. Some of us here today, that's our story. We say things all the time. I shouldn't even be here. Should be in a hospital. Should be in a ditch, dead on the side of the road. Should be in prison, but because the grace of God came into our lives and he blessed us and he protected us, even when we were completely unaware of it. Did you realize that? Did you realize that you've been called by God and so he's been protecting you, he's been blessing you, even when you didn't know? Because of that, we're here. Listen, don't miss that. We are here today and for one reason, and the reason we are here today is because of the incredible grace of God. That's it. In the house of grace, covered by his grace. And so you've got this man who's been laid up 38 years in the house of grace, covered by grace, but he's still got this going on. He's still lame. Do you know you can go to church for years and still be lame? Do you know you can go to church for 38 years and still be lame? Watch this, verse 6. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I don't know if you've ever heard this before. You probably have. You've probably said it before. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Ever heard that? I beg to differ. I burned my arm one time in the kitchen, and somebody looked at me and said, did it hurt? No, man, it was the greatest thing ever. Like, Now, the reason I point that out is because on the surface, when the very first time I read this, and for years for reading this, I was like, 
Jesus, come on. Are, are you for real? Like, dude, you're, you're the son of God. The, the one given to us for everlasting life, not to condemn us and, and, and all of this. Jesus, you, you created this. But, but Jesus, do you want to get well? Jesus, you're speaking to a guy who's been laid on the side of the road for 38 years. And the best thing you, Messiah, son of God, the best thing you can come up with is do you want to get well? Yes, he wants to get well. How dumb is that, Jesus? And I always thought that was a stupid question. Until I realized, in fact, it was after doing ministry for a while. You know what I've discovered? Some people, you don't want to get well. Some people, you would rather identify this way than you would this way. Let me give you some examples. Let's get real for a minute. Let's talk about addiction. Some people, you don't want to get past your addiction. Let's just be honest. You don't want to quit. And this is what you'll say. Well, I'm in the house of grace, and that's true. I'm covered by grace. That's true. But wouldn't you like to get well? Wouldn't you like to stop being this way and start being this way? Wouldn't you like to be filled? Here's the truth. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to live that way anymore. In fact, at some point, you're going to have to admit that this is your choice. This is your choice. I'm speaking to somebody who's been down this road. I'm not judging. It's your choice. You know there are some people who are depressed, that don't want to get well? You know why? Because if I say I'm depressed, then you feel sorry for me. You show me sympathy. And when I call my de- myself depressed all the time, I'm literally giving disease over the, or power over the disease, calling it by name and saying it's what controlled me. And if I'm always depressed and you're always feeling sorry for me, I don't have to get well. I can stay this way. And so Jesus asks a legit question. Because here's the deal. If Jesus heals this man, this man's going to have to make some changes. This man's going to be complete. Things are going to be all brand new for him. He's going to have to learn a new way of life. He's going to have to learn. Like Essentially, he's been begging for 38 years. And now he's going to have to walk the streets of Jerusalem because he's not walked in 38 years. He's going to have to learn things because everything is going to become brand new. And this is his answer. And you would think, hey, man, do you want to get well? Yes. Yes, Jesus. Like, you would think that's what we would say to Jesus. But let's be fair. This man doesn't know who Jesus is because he hadn't read the story about himself in the Bible yet. But verse 7, he says this. I can't. I can't. You want to get well? I can't. You, you want to get well? I can't. Man, that's the biggest lie that Satan has sold many of us. I, I've bought into it. I can't. I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Now, give me a second, because I need to set this up to explain it. I can't, because there's nobody there. It's, it's one of these lies that we believe. It's one of these things that are twisted in theology. It's one of these Christian phrases that a lot of people buy into. Christian phrases drive me crazy. There are certain ones that drive me nuts. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you one, and, and listen, I'm not picking on you if you've said, actually, I am. And so, um, I really am. But there are so many things that are rooted in poor theology that get put on t-shirts or coffee mugs or, or whatever. And, and this thing, this drives me absolutely nuts. It's going around a lot right now. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you've said it. It's this. I'm just, I'm just living my truth. I just got to live my truth. Now, listen, I'm not saying that if you've said it or not said it, but so far, everybody that I've talked to who says, I'm just living my truth, can, can, can I just pause for a second? Can I just tell you out of love that's one of the dumbest phrases you could ever utter out of your mouth. 
he just called me dumb. No, I said the phrase is dumb. But if you keep saying it, you could qualify for dumb, all right? Listen, I'm just living my truth. When you were eight years old, what was your truth? What was your truth when you were eight years old? When you, when you were eight years old, your truth was, today my tooth is going to fall out of my mouth, and I'm going to put it under my pillow. A fairy is going to fly into my room at some point tonight, pay me money for the t- tooth that fell out of my mouth. That's your truth. When you were eight years old, you believed a bunny rabbit pooped eggs and brought them to you. That's your truth. Nobody's looking back and claiming that truth anymore. Everybody that I have met, if they're honest, who says, well, I'm just living my truth. I got to live my truth. They're saying that so they could continue doing something they know they shouldn't do. They're just calling it their truth. And listen, just so everybody understands, I'm going to say this in a way that you will not forget it. If our truth and God's truth don't match up, then to hell with our truth. Because that's where it comes from. Oh, Frank, he just cussed. Hold on, Karen. You ain't seen nothing yet. Just wait. Verse 7. I can't, sir, the sick man said. I can't. I can't, I can't get well. Living his truth. But it was a lie. Let me tell you a few reasons that he believed the lie. Number one, I can't get well because he believed that false belief system. He believed an angel came down, stirred up the water, first one in would get healed. He believed if he got in the water, he would get better. But the whole system was based on false belief, just like religion. Do more, try harder. Do more, try harder, you'll get better. Do more, try harder, and you'll be better. The second thing, and and don't miss this because this is huge, he blamed other people for his condition. Oh, sir, I'd like to get well, but nobody's here to take me into the water. And listen, there are some of you in this room, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, and I'm going to preach this because I've done it before too. This is what you say. I could get well if they would just apologize. I could get well if they would just say they're sorry. Sir, I can't get well, but I could if they would just pay me back. Like, I could if they would just do this. There are some of people in this room, like, listen, you've been wounded. I'll stop. Legitimately wounded by somebody. What they did to you, it hurt. It was not right. I'm not excusing it. But to stay laying down for 38 years because somebody won't tell you they're sorry? Listen, to give somebody that much power over your life is insanity. Some of you, you're upset with somebody and they're dead. Listen, as long as we blame other people for this, we will always be like this. It's crazy. That's what that man's doing. Nobody can pick me up. Nobody takes me. Then Jesus told him, I love this. Stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Here's what I love. Jesus doesn't even address the sir I can't. Doesn't even answer the excuse. Doesn't look down at him like, oh my gosh, you're right. Oh, dude, you're such a snowflake. You know what? You're awesome. You're incredible. We believe in you. Get up. No, Jesus doesn't even address it. He just says, stand up. Pick up your mat and walk. Now here's what's crazy. The day Jesus told him to do this, next verse you'll see this, was the Sabbath day. And according to Jewish tradition, not the word of God, but religious tradition, you weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath day. You weren't allowed to do anything on the Sabbath day, so he couldn't pick up his mat and walk on the Sabbath day. In other words, Jesus told him, hey, if you want to get healed, then you're going to have to do something that religion tells you you cannot do. When he said that, it ticked people off. Somebody told me not too long ago that I needed to be more like Jesus. And I agree. I'm trying every day to become more like him. One of the things I think I do 
really well in regards to being like Jesus is I do a pretty good job at ticking off religious people. I do. Jesus was always healing on the Sabbath. He was intentionally doing things religious people said you can't do, and it ticked them off. Which is, which is what happens in religion. They start putting labels on you and telling you you can't do something. You can't step into who God's calling you to be. Let me take you back to my first ever leadership meeting in a church. Now listen, I'm from a Baptist world, all right? That, that's, that's what my, all my schooling is. And so I'm not saying this is what all Baptists do. I was in a Baptist church, and, and this is what my Baptist church did. I was in a deacon nomination meeting. You know what deacons are, right? They're the most popular people in the church. Like, that, that's, that's what they are. Like, that's, that's it, all right? So they're throwing out names. And they're throwing out names. They're talking about names. And they got the one name. And they pass it up. And I'm like, hey, hold on. What about this guy? Like, he's pretty awesome. Like, spiritually, he's awesome. His family is great. Like, he's incredible. And I got looked at it, I said, they said, he can't be a deacon. Can't be a deacon. Why? He's divorced. What? Is that like a law? No. It says it in the Bible. Where does it say it in the Bible? I said, well, you know what, man, that's not really what it says right there. Like, you guys are misinterpreting this. And, and, and it was this great big argument. And so then the question I asked that got me kicked out of the meeting was, hey, he can't be a deacon. Why? Because the Bible says he's divorced, and because he gets divorced, he can't be a deacon. I'm like, do we still cash his tithe check? See, what I really wanted to say to another man in the room, but I didn't because it was my first ever meeting, and I was a little intimidated. I'd say it now today. You know I'd say it now. But I said, can't be a deacon. Why can't he be a deacon? He's divorced. Boy, you're fat. Seriously. Why are we going to pick on one sin and not the other? See, religion will put labels on you and tell you you can't step into everything God has called and created you to be. And listen to me, don't you dare accept a label that religion has tried to put on you ever. Because listen, if I would have listened to religious people, if I would have listened in that meeting, you can't do this because you're divorced, I would not be in ministry. I wouldn't be pastoring this church. I wouldn't be living an abundant life. I'd probably be in a one-room apartment, curled up in a ball, drinking myself to death, feeling sorry for myself because I accepted a label that people who didn't listen to Jesus, who didn't love Jesus, who weren't following Jesus, who didn't really love me, tried to put on me. You are not who they say you are. You are who Jesus says you are. And if Jesus is speaking life into you, you need to receive it. It's the only way we go from here to here. The only way. Jesus said, I don't care. I don't care what religion has told you. I don't care what their religious laws are. I don't care what religious, religion has put on you. I don't care what religion has said to you. I don't care how religion has defined you. Sir, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Can you imagine how nasty it was? Dude been laying there for all those years. And right here, Jesus is saying, get out of that. Get out of that. Get up and walk. And everybody around us is probably saying, do whatever. Jesus, we tried that before. Like, come on, man. Like, just crazy. Picking on the hand. Like, stop. And then all of a sudden, instantly, instantly, the man was healed. How soon? After 38 years. After 38 years of believing the false system and trying to blame it on other people, Jesus spoke. The word of God spoke. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus spoke. And instantly, this man was healed rolled up his sleeping mat, began walking. This miracle happened again on the Sabbath. The man got healed because he received the word of Jesus. He received the word of God spoken into him like we talked about last week. See, he's in the house of grace, covered by grace, but it wasn't until he received the word of God that he stepped into healing. Some of you here today, what you need to understand is you're in the house of grace, covered by grace. 
but you need to receive the word that Jesus is speaking into your life so you can step into your healing. Listen to me, you've been this way long enough. You've been this way long enough. Jesus said you can live life to the full. You can have abundant life. And yes, you're in the house of grace, covered by grace, but do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Do you want to be healed? Because the way we receive healing, the way that miracle comes into our life is simply by receiving the word that Jesus speaks into our lives. He's the master of the miraculous. Do you believe that? Do you understand that? Do you understand that you're in a house of grace covered by grace and healing comes from the word of God? You need to receive what Jesus is speaking into you and step into that. You've been this way long enough. Shut up. Stand up, get up, and walk. Let's pray. Father, right now I pray over every single person in this room that we would all understand that we are in your house. And your house is a house of grace where we are covered by your love and your grace. And Jesus, we need to feel that. We need to understand that. And we need to be healed. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Maybe today you feel like this message is for you. You feel like you're the lame man laying beside the pool and you need to be healed. You need for a healing to take place in your life. You need to understand it's Jesus who defines you and not other people who define you, that nobody can put a label on you. You're struggling with something. You just can't get past it. And Jesus is asking you today, do you want to get well? If that's you, Right, I, I, don't, I don't hardly ever do this, but I just feel like this message is one of those ones where, where I just I really need to. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If, if that's you, you feel like, man, I, I just need this. I need to step into this. I need to do what Jesus said. I need to, I need to stand up. I need to get up. I, I need to walk. If that's you, I want you to stand up right where you are because uh, I want to pray for you. I want you to stand to your feet right now. Don't look around and see if anybody else is doing it. It doesn't matter. If Jesus spoke to your heart, you, need, you, you know you need to be healed. You stand to your feet right now. and Just remain standing because I'm going to pray for you. If Jesus is speaking to you and he's saying, hey, I want to heal this area of your life. I want to heal the pain of your past. I want to heal the addiction. I want to heal the problem. I want to heal the anger issue. I want to heal this anxiety. I want to heal this depression. I want to heal because you're in the house of grace covered by grace. And you need to step into that healing. For those of you who are standing, maybe just hold your arms out like as an act of surrender. Just like Jesus said, stand up, surrender, so you can receive it. And I'm going to pray for you. Father, I want to pray for every single person right now that's standing. God, arms wide open to you saying yes to you. God, help them to receive the word that you're saying to them. God, I pray that You would plant a seed so deep in their hearts, Jesus, that the enemy cannot steal it away. I pray you would speak life, that you would speak healing, that you would fill us, God, with the faith to understand that because you said it, we can believe it. Because you said it, we can know it. Because you said it, we can hold on. Because you said it, we can step in. You said that you're Jehovah Rapha. You said you're the great healer. And we put our faith and we put our trust in that. God, we love you. And we believe for the miracles, God. We believe for it to happen. And we believe it because you said it. Church, together we're going to sing and we're going we're to let that be our anthem, that God, we believe for it.
that we believe it and we trust it. And so if you're not standing, stand to your feet and let's close out in song.